Do we have to? I guess. Yeah. Oh, I think I think we're welcome live. to the pre-show banter, everybody. Hail Satan. So we got all of our costumes going. My costumes suck, clearly. Mike's costume is awesome, by the way. What are you, John Strand? I, mean, I, try, I tried to dress as J- John Strand for the day. You did a fantastic <laughs> job. You, know, you got that. I should have glasses. Um, they're brothers. It's amazing. <laughs> so. you, stand, you stand up, Brian, you and Shecky, and everyone's like, I don't know. I just, I don't. Is that a cat butt? What the hell, man? <laughs> Sorry, I'm censoring <laughs> it with the Pepe. What the oh. Sorry, is this cat butt? This is not okay. This is this is a family show. Okay? This is for me to poop on. This is for you. Get your for pussy cat away. It does not poop on here. No, no, no. That is for them to poop, not for me to poop on. That is that is a German thing. All right. Gray poop on. What? Gray poop on. What did I do? I just realized my pants have zippers in the back pockets. I didn't know. Yeah, we got two minutes. Nice. That's for if that's for when rural people go to cities so they don't get pickpocketed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now wait, how, did, you go how to, much... did you go to Seattle? I'm like, yeah, it was fantastic. Wow, oh, was it all on fire? No, we had really great brunch and yeah. it was a good time. So there was there was a guy I was I didn't believe it until I had to interact with someone when we brought up Portland and he was like, Portland burned to the ground. I'm like, what are no, you talking Portland about? Portland did burn to the ground. That is accurate. Don't come here. Yeah. Please don't buy real estate if you do. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> When I came home from from Wild West, my wife's like, "So are we gonna buy property?" And I was like, "No, it sucks. It's horrible. We're it's not horrible there. It's god awful. It's just bad. It's, it's horrible." My wife fell in love with the bad I mean, It's a, loved it. I mean, Western South Dakota is so bad that I hear that uh, fake accounts are even moving away from there. Are we ready to get I think this? So rolling? I think we're gonna roll a more differenter finger. So here we go. Let's let's do this. Hello and welcome to another edition of Black Hills Information Security, talking about news. We're going to be talking about the Okta hack twice. We're going to be talking about the Boeing hack once. We're going to be talking about one password back to the Okta. We're going to talk about AI-generated child-exploited images, and that's going to be a a downer when we get that, to be honest with you. It's going to be bad. We're going to talk about VPN uh, vulnerabilities found by Cisco, MGM Resorts, and a partridge in a pear tree. And today, I am joined by an illustrious cast. I'm not even going to try to go through the names of these people. Um, and we're going to see if anybody can identify who I am for Halloween today. Brian uh, Strand. Well, it's no Incorrect. fun. Incorrect. Try again. You knew. So. Tim Medine. Oh, He's Tim Medine. Oh, Tim Medine. Yes. I'm doing my best Tim Medine today. So. If you don't know who owns Black Hills, now you do. Now you do. <laughs> Tim Medine is the full owner of Black Hills Information Security, and I forsake all rights, and the IRS can talk to him. Oh, this like year. That. All right, so let's jump right in. Do we want to talk about Okta? Because, wow, $2 billion in marketing. What else yeah. is there to talk it is, about? Well, oh, remember, remember when we were talking about like starting a cybersecurity like trading fund where we like buy when they get breached and then just hold on to it until they bounce oh, back. Oh yeah, the security this is fraud the time. episode. This is the this is the time to buy Octas right now, and we'll see. Hopefully, it bounces back. <laughs> What's their ticker symbol? Is it BHIS? Wait, no, sorry. No, no. Uh, it's they slumped. I don't know what Octas here. I, I mean, it's Octa. It's okay. It's Octa. It's, it's down half a point i mean 
It's yeah, that's because all the yeah. uh, well, well, from the 19th, they're down 20 bucks. Well, to yeah. be fair, though, the entire market is also down 20 bucks. So, like, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Their high 52 week high was 91 and they're at 45 right now. I feel we should mention we are not financial advisors and we don't know what we're doing. So <laughs> yeah, do don't do that. Solicit if anybody story. looks at me and they think this guy has got sound financial advice. I mean, you do look guy. like someone I would buy gold from. I um, <laughs> in an alley. Yes. If, if nothing else, gold earrings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, basically, why why is Okta down? I mean, we've talked about it in multiple different times in multiple different ways, but they're down because they seem to be the recurring nightmare of breach-related disclosures, whether it's them or their customers. It just keeps happening. So right now, it seems to be one password, which is a separate article. Um, they said they announced, uh, on the 23rd that they detected suspicious activity in their internal Okta account. So as if that specific word, it does kind of seem like a get out of breach free card at this point. If you just say Okta, then it's like, okay, Uh you're cleared of all, you're cleared of all wrongdoing. Thank you. Hey, Corey, can you kind of walk through like, what are these hacks? Because if I'm, if I'm reading this correctly, it's not that Okta was hacked, right? It's not like somebody found a zero day or a bug that's not quite how these breaches are going down so how are these breaches going down well so the threat that hit mgm which is the first ever sort of was wasn't the first octa thing i mean i think where does it where did it start it started with microsoft right isn't that no, the first I, I, time i thought octa was the first one to officially get breached like way back in the day like they really? they got breached and well, then they just became a facilitator of breaches because people are misconfiguring Okta incorrectly or okay. not. Well, so those credentials. things, right? Like yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're yeah. Separate yeah. Things. So using Okta. Yeah. So yeah. what, what is like very topical right now? And I don't think this specifically relates to one password, but what is happening right now is attackers are calling. So they're doing social engineering phone calls. This is what happened to MGM. They're calling in. They're saying, hi, I'm a high privilege account. I need to reset my password and my MFA factors. You know, just go in the Okta admin portal and do this, that, and the other. So that is why Okta has been in the news lately, because people are using it, not necessarily outside of their intended functions, but just people are abusing it. There are some specific attacks that, like persistence or other mechanisms they're using Okta functionalities for, but just because you have a button in your admin portal that says reset all MFA factors doesn't mean you're a security threat, right? Like, that's fair. That's an intended Mm -hmm. feature. Um, it's just being abused because Okta has made identity management quite easy, and that has made help desks enabled to do IT management that maybe they shouldn't be doing, um, to be able to strip what off are, factors or other things. What are some other big identity management companies, though, that like we Ping. haven't heard from, right? Why but is it just... Ping, yeah. Ping is I mean, a big one, but Okta just basically dwarfs everybody. As yes, far as Okta dwarfs. Exactly. There's a lot. Yeah. Every, I would say almost every big company at this point has an identity product. Um, Okta just has the most variety. They also have, like, of the companies that are doing zero trust, they typically use Okta because it's really the only alternative that I've seen people use for I don't have AD, but I have Okta. So, like, that that seems to be what people end up with, actually, is, like, instead of having AD, they have Okta. That isn't really what we're seeing with, like, the MGMs, but um, this new attack, I mean, we don't know. It's basically one password disclosed publicly and said... Hey, there's some suspicious things happening with our Okta portal, basically saying 
we don't know what it is, but we're shutting it off. So yeah, basically, could, yeah. I, I want to read their whole quote because this is it. On September 29th, we detected suspicious activity on our Okta instance that we man that we used to manage our employee facing apps. Um, we immediately terminated the activity, investigated, and found no compromise of user data or other sensitive systems, either employee facing or user facing. That doesn't yeah. make me feel better. So, so no, Okta suffered but- a breach of their customer service portal, right? And in that portal, there's tokens and passwords Correct. and all sorts of stuff. So, it's assuming that one pass ha- right had one of those tokens that got breached, and I'm assuming yes. someone got a hold That's- of it. Yes, that is the assumption. I don't think Okta has confirmed that, have they? Yeah, that that um, it well, was related? Yeah, Okta sort of talked about that. Um, so a lot of it was like the, the HAR files. So like when you do a customer support, uh, sometimes they want you to upload these HAR files, which are just a replay of a section. Right. And within mm-hmm. those HAR files were a lot of Java web to- tokens um, or JSON, JWTs right. um, and some other session cookies. And those got, you know, those session cookies, attackers just, you know, pulled them out of the uh, HAR files and were using yep. those to attack, which the other thing, too, is like Octa says, well, just going forward, sanitize your HAR files before you upload them. But that's Okta not provided fa- absolutely yeah, no guidelines on how to do that. They said, oh, it take a, a few months for us to make a tool to do it. Um, but Cloudflare stepped in and goes, okay, give us three days and we have a tool that will sanitize your hard files before you upload them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And by the way, we also have an identity product. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I, I think that, I think that like the reason, the reason, obviously we know the stock market is just made up human emotion and it's not real. But I think the reason that Okta is getting blasted is because there's breaches like this, and their 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 names just coming up too much for people to be comfortable with it. Whether it's you were breached, or you were breached using well, Okta, or Okta was breached, they're just such a, a huge lot. attack vector, right? Like yeah. they're, they're yeah. su- such an easy win. Well, they are. But I, well, yeah, I think and, that we need to step and, back and, and you know look at this from somebody who's not technical, right? Um, if somebody who's not technical, like a CEO that's looking to purchase um, from their CTO, is making recommendations, right? And the CEO is constantly seeing all of these attacks that are in the news. If I was a CEO and I knew nothing about the tech, I wouldn't feel comfortable working with Okta. Hey, John, then, we should try. We should use Okta. <laughs> yeah, well, let's like go. For that- it. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I actually think that we have a whole bunch of thirty-day trial instances of Okta that we use in like spear phishing attacks. If I'm not mistaken. Shh. No, no, no. Those um, are all breached. Just pretend <laughs> like they don't breached. exist. But- so, but actually, go ahead. I would be remiss if I didn't bring OSINT up in this conversation. The fact that most organizations, when they set up their Okta instance, their company name is the subdomain name, makes it so mm-hmm. easy to enumerate and compromise. I'm not going to say whether I was able to see somebody associated with Agile Bits or not, but it's possible. I. I have similar complaints with Proofpoint, but Proofpoint actually takes some steps to obfuscate it at least. I think that might be a step in the right direction. I mean, it's security through obscurity. If someone persistently wants to find out, they're going to find out. But this is just making it way too easy. If you run something like Sublister against Okta.com, you're, you're going to find their entire client list. I want to go back to something that's on the screen that I, I pulled up here because the article at the top makes it like, oh, they dropped $2 billion. I want everyone here to think 
about $2 billion, right? That's a lot to you and I. But let's talk about market capitalization for a moment. Their shares plummeted 11%. That's nothing. The investors can ride that. And then if you look back even at this, look at where they were in 2022 and dropping down and then stabilized again. If we look in on this and you are an investor in here, you're, you're just going to ride this. This is nothing. Yeah, what this is I telling mean, me is they can be breached a hundred times and they're so embedded in corporations. They're not. They're well, so it's, yeah. I mean, like, I, I, I kind of disagree just because, like, I think John's perception of what the CEO's perception is, is where we're at. And, like, the needle will move slowly, but it will move. Like, this is what we saw with LastPass, where, like, at first people weren't aware of it. And now if I mention that, like, you know... We'll be customers will ask me all the time. Oh, you know, what do you do for password management? I'm like, oh, I don't know, one password, LastPass, psychotic, whatever. They're like, really, LastPass? And I'm like, actually, yeah, I guess not. Like they, even <laughs> customers now are pushing back on that. Where yeah, I think, I think, I think, Corey, the difference here is that, as you mentioned, there's one, there was one pass, there was uh, Bitwarden, there were all these other password managers. Okta is the game. Right. So you don't you don't yeah. have the alternatives out there, or if you do, they m might not fit into the organizations. I, they, the well, they have inertia. Yeah. I mean, they they have, have eighteen thousand four hundred customers. Eighteen thousand four hundred. <laughs> That well, also, compare that to Microsoft. That's well, I mean, yeah, Microsoft but you can't compare anybody to Microsoft. Like it's like comparing well, my well, but it's replacing childhood grocery store to Costco. But I want to kind of like pick on that thread. This isn't something like these identity and access management solutions, like they are not easy just to rip and replace. I mean, no, they're not. The, we did because we dumped LastPass for obvious reasons. I'm not going to say who we went with, but there was technical reasons. Um, the electronic codebook mode and their ES encryption was really an odd choice um, and not a wise one. And then the fact that they had been breached multiple times, but also politically, we literally had customers that were like, hey, we don't want to do business with a company that is using LastPass. But that, that came up in sales conversations. And that's a valid question, right? At that point. I, I do we think we're at that point with Okta? Cuz no. I don't think that we've seen any sub, like substantial structural mistake that Okta has made. It's just it is a vector that people are using to attack environments. And I they're pretty on right. top of the ball yeah. with talking about their breaches at least for the Correct. most part, right? Yeah. And yes. you got to remember LastPass was not like no, that was the that thing was that opened my them. eyes, yes, right? I agree. And so bad. if you if you're at least talking to the community and like discussing it with them and telling them about these breaches and harboring that good trust, I think that's the key part here. Yeah, yes, I, I agree. Pass, even if they were good at talking to people, like as soon as I started reading that report, I think it was in the first paragraph, it's like they were using electronic codebook mode. I'm like, what the fuck? Right. That's like crypto 101. I think it's in Bruce Schneier's book in the foreword. It says do not use electronic codebook mode. It's just, I don't think that we've seen anything like that, like a technical, huge mistake. No, that we Octa haven't. I mean, the support portal being breached is, that's big. And the HAR file thing big. is, that, that the HAR file thing is an example of, they're just stretched too thin and don't have the ability to stay on top of everything. Like, they're kind of, they're on the wave. They're starting to falter. I, will the wave overtake them and crush them? I don't know. But for now, they seem to be staying close to on top of it. And I do think, one thing comparing them to Microsoft that Okta's always had is they've had the ability to investigate and respond and log. And that's something that Microsoft hasn't had, right? Like 
at least with Okta, you can see when bad things are happening. You know, like you might not be able to do anything about it. It's too late, but you at least can go back and say, okay, when was this person, you know, like one password looking through the activity logs? How are you well, going to do that with your E3 license? You so, can't. So, okay, so that, that kind of gets us on another thing that I think is important is the game of forensics changed? And I, I'm asking this because I kind of know the answer, but whenever we're looking at forensics, like going through Octologs, trying to figure out if HAR files are being used, we had the certificate uh, breach with Microsoft a little while ago. Like we're seeing a lot of breach uh, breaches of these SaaS vendors or cloud vendors. And like your traditional concept of forensics is like out the window. If you're lucky, if you have anything that you can actually research. Um, yes. it, it, it kind of is starting to feel a little bit like if you're going to be a forensics investigator moving forward over the next five to 10 years, you're going to have to know your cloud logs really, really, really well. Well, John, you know, you wouldn't mention what we switched to at Black Hills, but I'm going to I'm going to go above you and, and, and mention it because I think it's important. John sh shipped each of us one of these. Um, it's it's unhackable. Uh, it's oh, amazing. God. I'm sorry. I got, it, I got it because it had a spin lock. On I know. That's how you know it's <laughs> secure. So, yeah, this is, you know, you do your forensics on this and you're good to go. This is where you do your... Tim, when he does Kerber roasting with this, he just puts it on a marshmallow stick and just kind of... He's so good at it. Fire. Have, we, have we roasted Okta enough? I don't think we've roasted Okta. I think that that's one of the things I want to state before we move on. I, I don't think that Okta... They could clearly do better, as always. But if anyone's listening to this and they're like, well, Okta is clearly a problem. If you're moving to another vendor, the exact same vector that nails Okta customers is more than likely going to work with that other vendor as well. So keep that in mind. Cool. Yeah, and I think Mike nailed it. Like inertia and like I identity, these are huge multi-million dollar projects. They take months and months and months. The inertia is real. And also just comparing, oh, uh, you know, we have Okta, let's rip and replace it. Okay, even just finding a product that will meet the same demands is not going to be as a quick thing. Right. It's not going to be like a Oh, you just export the CSV from LastPass and import it into this other tool. Done. Like, it's not, not that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I do, before we go to the next story, I, on a personal note, it is bringing me so much joy that anytime Corey speaks, just a full screen a frog, <laughs> personally, it, it, it thrills me to no end. That's, that's because it's, it's your people. It I is. sent you my podcast. Please respond. <laughs> <laughs> John's right. like mildly oh, nauseous yeah. look of amusement. Oh, oh that's that's great. gold it's right gold. there. So good. That's why we do video. Yeah, that's why we do video. Yeah. All right, can we move on and talk about Boeing assessing the lockbit hacking gang threat of sensitive data leak? Does anybody care? And Corey, I want to throw this specifically over to you. There's a lot of these data, like sensitive data, sensitive data. It, it's a lot of times the data is so voluminous that it's almost impossible to cut through. And it doesn't seem like there's a lot of follow-on news stories at all. We're like, I went through all of Boeing's data and I found out that they're doing predatory, you know, pricing. I, I don't see anything like that happening. Does anyone really care um, at this phase with, with ransomware gangs threatening to release data? Have we ever seen that where it's been an actual impact on a company so far? So I would say that for a company like Boeing, that the biggest impact or companies in general, the impact is all going to come from regulatory uh, pressure. Like, mm. if the data disclosed violates government things and leads to massive fines, they're going to care. If the data disclosed is like, oh, crap, it was all the HAR files, well, arguably, you should be able to, as long as you know it was disclosed, you should be able to respond to it and clean it, right, to make it invalid. 
I will say though, their their whole like, oh, we need to assess the threat is very real. Is like I believe that because even just figuring out like, oh, what databases were taken? Were they databases? Were they files? Where were they taken from? The files that were um exfiltrated, were they encrypted? Were they classified? Were they like this is a huge project. This happened to most of the victims of the clop breaches, is like some of the stuff can be changed. A lot of it can't be changed. Um, you know, design schematics for airplanes is just what I'm thinking of because I'm looking at a picture of an airplane. That those those designs are not going to be able to be changed. Like yeah. if you use the you know flux capacitor in the engine compartment, you can't just go out and change that. Like it's just mm-hmm. so it could potentially pose risks specifically for Boeing. But I will say these kinds of gangs make these kinds of threats all the time, and usually the data is crap. Usually what yeah. they have is like we like the Airbus breach. We talked about it on this. It was like their customer support or their like sales leads list. It was like 3000 companies that they want to sell Airbuses to. It's like, <laughs> okay, cool. But like anyone with any level of corporate awareness could tell you who would might be in the market for an Airbus. No. <laughs> there just aren't that many customers I, that are like, I will buy airplane. Um, and I think out of all the incidents that BHIS is working on right now, we have one where they pull down some encrypted data and mm. it's been this game of chicken back and forth. Like, so you have all this data. Yeah, we do. Okay. Did you decrypt it? Radio silence. Um, there's just, you know, I think that that's fairly common. Like, is it actual good data that we care about or not? And that's a rough game when you're working IR. I think yeah. the last two paragraphs though, if we could scroll down to the last two paragraphs and zoom in on this article, kind of sum up a lot of this, right? That basically says Lockbit did not say how much data allegedly stole from Boeing or the amount of ransom demanded. Boeing didn't comment either. The hacking gang also did not immediately respond to requests for comment on, the, uh, on an address it mentioned on the data leak site. It's just like, we don't know anything. Yeah, right? it's totally, it's nothing. Like, yeah. I mean, also the other thing is who would pay for this? Like if, if you're Boeing, who would pay? Because like, oh, hacker's honor, we won't disclose the data. Like, if, There's if the, the right data is disclosed the from a corporate perspective, it's disclosed forever and you can't, no backseat. Like you can't un ransomware something. So, uh, Flackfest yeah. has got a comment here, which I, I think really speaks to it. If the data Boeing, uh, if the data Boeing data was really valuable, they wouldn't be ransoming it. They'd be selling it to competitors or that one, foreign governments. Mm. If they aren't already in bed with the foreign which they would do right whether boeing would pay the ransom or not they would do it also lockbit uh like they mentioned is a uh what do they call it dual extortion they typically like to lock things out so if they were unable to lock things they They like meaning pocket they yeah they probably don't have that much data if you didn't make us hurt from like an awareness and availability perspective then you probably don't have that much data but well, Somebody. the other question that I've got as far as Boeing paying any sort of ransom is their close ties with the U.S. government and how, if they were to pay ransom, that would affect their contracts. Uh, we all know, we've all heard that the FBI says, don't pay the ransom, don't pay the ransom. Well, what happens if Boeing would pay the ransom? How would that affect them from that sort of standpoint? It, I think yeah, I, it would make them look bad because you know even if they pay the ransom, they can't assume the data's safe. So Yeah, well, I, I mean, for the... Uh, you know, because I had had thoughts on like Boeing looking bad. It, you know, somebody said like back, uh, you know, a few years back when they had like the seven eighty seven Max, and I had to ground all those planes because there was uh, some software error that was making them um, crash. Yeah, um, and it was just like, oh, is this going to be the end of Boeing? No, no. Like they're going to ride this out. Like Boeing's going to just 
Well, to be fair, though, they haven't. Yeah. From an investment perspective, though, like even to this day, they're still kind of not where they once were. Like it has affected their company long term. But be, it, the reason it has is the same thing with other companies where it's like once people start to get that like smell of death, no one will touch it. It's like, yeah. One thing we have noticed, though, that breaches usually don't matter. That's no, if, they, if you're going to learn matter. anything from yeah. our podcast, breaches Correct. don't matter. Airplanes yeah, crashing, that probably one. matters. That definitely yes. matters, and that more. shows. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Well, what you're talking about, yeah. I mean, not to be too businessy, but you're talking about liability. When it, People forget, I used to have this conversation all the time with executives, people would forget that when you acquire a company, they're like, look at all this cool stuff we just bought. That's not true. You acquired the assets, and you acquired the liabilities, which is why you see so many, like, oh, we're going to spin this off. We're not going to buy that part of the company. Yep. Exactly. So, Boeing could very easily in that scenario say, well, we're just going to get out of commercial aircraft. They and could do Ian, that. Ian, well, I just got to say you were full screen there for a second. Mm -hmm. You now have to dress like this every single day. Boss, uh, I've, I've never received an order from you. Ian, I don't I'm know where the tips so. end and you begin. This is amazing. Like this outfit, the the glasses, just chef's I don't dress. know if you saw the shirt, though. Like, No, I didn't. Live fast. Eat trash. <laughs> nice. so i, I mean the bro. last thing on the boeing thing you know if it actually did happen it's a subcontractor guarantee oh, it has to Probably. be yeah. <laughs> like, yeah absolutely well i mean even even to that end a bad breach can be minimized by good pr yes um and yes and it's not even good not like ethical pr but effective pr mm -hmm. sure just any PR actually right. just don't ignore it. So no, I mean, how many times have we talked about breaches that have happened? Um, uh, you know, hug ops to remember uh, when Dragos had their breach and the the write up that Rob Lee and the team did there it was, was amazing, was brilliant, and everyone went, yeah, okay. Then cool. everyone moved on and moved on. Yeah, <laughs> that was it. That. Yeah, so cool. All right. All right. Let's What's move next? on. Um, the next one I would like to talk about is a Wired article. AI generated child abuse nightmare is here. Um, working, working a lot of these. It's a real uplifting article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, yeah. yeah but I, cool. I think we have to talk about it because it's not just child abuse, right? Um, I actually watched a video from an influencer in Los Angeles that was really, really worried about the influencer space and the market of influencers. Because AI could generate like these quote unquote fake AI generated influencers hawking products and on beaches and and it was incredibly well done. Like you couldn't tell it wasn't a real human being, it wasn't a real a beach, it wasn't a real place. And the thing that they ended with that was right now today is the worst that this is this technology is going to be. And with this with these images of like child abuse. There's a couple of things that I think are really, really interesting about it is we've known that this has been coming for a long time, right? Like as soon as even before deep fakes, people were like predicting this type of thing that was happening. The other thing is it gets into some really weird legal gray areas. Um, one of the cases I worked, um, the individual had a whole bunch of um, like, quote unquote, child pornography, but it was anime and pictures. And there was a long conversation about whether or not that was illegal or not and that's going to be an interesting thing as we move forward because identifying the victim is something that's very 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 important and if this is starting to bum you out just look at the, at the oh, yeah, yeah. i brought a kitty so that you can we'll look at that, that when i talk kitty. about this 
So, Go okay, ahead. this is really depressing for so many reasons. Number yes. one, that people want it. But also, number two, that, like, because of the nature of how this works, I wonder how much of this would get picked up by, like, automatic CSAM filtering. Like, you know, how that we have... A, a lot of those filters, I think, would still catch it. Um, unless you're like talking they would. about KFF known file functionality, because yeah, there's, I don't there's, know. there's, well, originally it was just straight images that the FBI was keeping a database of. They would take all of these images, and then you could do a search with any images that were pulled off a computer that could then cross-reference that to see if that was any known victims. And you didn't even have to do any of the work. A lot of that was done on hashing. And a lot of the newer technology that they have, they can actually recognize the victims. And um, it's not just like a specific image, but the person in the image. And then they're cross-referencing and they're searching that. But yeah, I, I think if you're reusing those victims again and again, then that will absolutely trip that uh, with, with, the, with what the FBI has. But I mean, it's also them, like oh, it could just be so much that they're, they could never detect every, I don't know, as, at least because it's going to change every time, right? If it's AI based, you could just keep generating and generating. Yes. Yes, you, you could. Now, yeah, you're going to hit an infinite loop, but like based on my experience with reverse image search, for example, and granted, when I'm doing reverse image search, this is not what I'm reverse image searching. It's typically just a person, oftentimes for a demo. And like Yandex, for example, is really good at classifying the person. Yeah. So, for example, I'll feed it a person, it will identify it's a woman, it'll even get kind of close with the shape of the eyebrows the type of glasses is she smiling is her head tilted is she in a car so if they can apply those same types of algorithms to this csam material they could be able to classify it as it's a minor being abused but then you still have the problem of is this a real person or is this ai generated well, and joe that last point i think is right. the biggest one because if you're, Absolutely. Working, if you're working in law enforcement and you have someone that appears to be underage. Um, but one of the things that was described to me, if there's any level of like puberty development and they don't know who the person is, they usually kind of drop those cases and move on. And I know that that's really, really, right. really, really super depressing. Um, but whenever you're looking at it from law enforcement's perspective, I want everyone to understand that having conversations with law enforcement, they basically said that they could put everybody on this and they still would not be scratching the bottom of the barrel. I mean, just uh, absolutely. It's like it's just as simple as being the AI engineer who designed this would take the wind out of your sails so much. Like it would just be the most depressing right. thing to realize. I mean, you just got to put the to put the guardrails up, right? Like make it so that you can't generate this kind of stuff wherever possible. If you if you are you know generating it, then it should get dealt with. I mean, I guess from a criminal perspective, what are your thoughts? Like it's on one hand oh. it. It's a crime to possess it, I guess, probably, but I guess oh, maybe not. Corvus, Will it end up in court? Corvus, I don't know. Corvus, Corvus brought up a great question, and I, I want to answer it the best I can with my limited experience in doing this, okay? Should it matter if we can identify who the victim is, and should it matter if we can identify... Well, the, if it's AI-generated, the arguably so, there is no victim, so right? The, the, ar arguably sure. there is no victim, um, and we're not saying that like that's not how I feel. That's just a legal right. perspective, like legally, right? right yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing that you need to keep in mind is there are actors and actresses that are they appear very, very, very young, and they're like twenty five, right? 
And my point in bringing that up is if you can't identify the victim and if there's any level of development, then it becomes very, very difficult for the FBI to say, we have a case that we can actually pursue and say that this is in fact child pornography. Um, Because it's possible that it may not be child pornography. It could be somebody that's older that just appears young. I know that that's a distinction without a difference for many of you, and I get that, but please understand that whenever you're looking at pursuing cases, if you have the option of pursuing a case that is 100% deadlock win, and you're looking at a case that's going to take months or like possibly years to prosecute successfully, you're playing a game of resources, and you're going to be putting your resources towards the cases that have the highest probability of a conviction. Well, and they're all probably going to be accompanied by other crimes than just CSAM. It's going to be trafficking or it's going to be kidnapping or something like that. And I I mean that from a legal perspective, if you're lucky, then that's just another thing in a big bucket of awful. But if these images are the only things that you have, you've got to make a decision on how you're going to prosecute. Yeah, I want to jump on one. I, I think the other thing that people need to realize about legal is that while there's a moral stance they have to go by what the devil in the details are. What does the law directly say? It doesn't matter whether they agree with it morally or immorally or ethically or what. It's what can they actually do inside of that exact framework. And it is a very detailed and very exact framework in a majority of instances. And, and, and that framework, not just from the law's perspective, from the prosecution perspective, also has the concept of resources. You're going to go after the cases so, that you can prosecute successfully in the shortest amount of time. So, and, and to that end, there, there's two things that I want to bring up. Sorry to talk over you on this one, Ian. Right. Um, but there, there's an organization. I'm not going to name the organization that I work with. Uh, I will be honest. It's not Trace Labs, but uh, I work with people in identifying this kind of material. And it's not Innocent Lives Foundation either. And basically our target audience for when we get called in on an op, uh, we specifically try to ascertain the age, and the age range we typically look for would be 8 to 12, based on what uh, John was saying with the whole any signs of entering puberty. But another thing that I want to touch on really quick uh, that Shecky mentioned is the legal perspective. In the U.S., our legal system is very reactive in nature, and it's very precedent-driven. So because we haven't something like this hasn't made it to court there's no precedent set there's nothing on the books from our legislators that can drive this so right now it's such a legal gray area i mean it, it's grayer than i am and i've been gray my entire life oh wow oh, boom okay so i, oh. I do want to add something to that one of the things that you both brought up uh was the idea of going after the cases that you can win and there's actually a darker side to that, which is we all want to say, hey, this is clearly wrong. Like, it's it's the definition that the Supreme Court gave of pornography, right? They're like, I don't know what it is, but I'll know it when I see it, right? That was, that was said by a Supreme Court justice. With that said, one of the worst things that can come out of this is you go after something where you're trying to establish a precedent. That gets shut down, and now you've given a legal defense to people who should not have it. So that's one of the other reasons why these prosecutors go after that. They go after the things they know they can win so they can have precedence to go after the next person, the next person, the next person. The the second thing that I wanted to mention was around, you know, is there no victim? Unfortunately, these large language models and generative models have to have a basis for something. 
And it's going to be terrifying to find out that many of these models in these private places where these things are traded are built off of actual exploitation material. And if that's the case, then all it is is a continued trauma. But proving that, we've already found difficult in anywhere from art to anything else. And now we've got another excuse that these people can use to say, oh, well, that, that isn't it. The computer generated it, so it's art. There is no harm. There is no victim. And that's, that is where I think the real and, danger and, lies. And I, I, I completely, 100% agree. And a lot of people in like the FBI and law enforcement, they do not want to take a case that they could lose. And then they would have that horrible precedent moving forward. Yep. So, okay, well, here, here's what yeah. we've learned. If you're law enforcement or vigilante or whoever, the clear answer is to go after whoever's generating this crap. It's that. It's like whether it's law enforcement going like FBI or whoever, the people that are writing models to create this, that's the people you go after. Because like uh, Ian said, where there's smoke, there's fire. If the model is trained on something, that probably means there's a crime being committed. So there you go. Right. So I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting. Hopefully someone will take down these whatever, uh, you know, organizations or groups that are making this stuff that that's where you, you stomp it out at the source because... I mean, it's tough, though, because as we know, large language models are getting easier and easier to build and maintain over time. Yeah. Like, that that's great yeah. because it has positive ramifications for documentation and other, you know, it's but it's like any tool where it can be used for good. It can be used for evil. I, I want to bring up last point from Flackfest because we could talk about this all day. What really scares me about this is the potential of extortion abuse for vulnerable individuals like young teenagers taking social media pictures. And uh, just jump, throw some AI threatening, extorting, regardless of the legal stance, the damage that could already be done. Right. And to deep fake someone underage. And yeah. yeah. Once again, I, I talked, this conversation came up at Wild West Hacking Fest probably three times. I would hate to be a kid today. Like, there mm -hmm. is no way I would want to be a teenager with the bullshit that's out there today at all. How long until we get social media that's just no pictures? And no videos. It's just text only. But back to bulletin go. boards. Back to bulletin boards. Back to IRC, baby. No, boy, he's got an idea. Okay, hold on. We build a website, right? And it's limited to text at 140 characters. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. That's it. Just 140 characters. 140 characters. But, but what if people okay, pay I extra? Like can they get 280? No, no, no extra. No and you text. can't edit your tweet. <laughs> can't I mean, edit your tweet. You can't edit um, your blanks. Your uh, your, uh your burbs. Um, your burbs. Your, yeah. your your skies? Oh no, okay. Oh, you're right. Damn, you're yeah. right. Um one one thing I would say, I competed in a an anti-trafficking CTF uh, a couple of months ago. And you know, to kind of put a nail in the coffin on this, uh, because you know, I'm perfectly fine changing the topic as well because this is some dark stuff. We were primarily looking for adults, but Typically, once you found one person, you're able to unravel the entire stable and then work to the person of interest. So in cases where they can actually identify a person, often they are in a stable and the charges are going to pile up really, really, really fast. If you can get that far. Yeah. If you, yeah, exactly. And that and goes what back it boils to down to is getting to that root. If you can get to that root. Right. But Anybody? then you also run into the problem that they plead out for lesser charges and they serve two to three years and they're back at it. 
So what we need is someone that somehow makes a tool that unravels what the AI was trained on somehow. I mean, it would be useful for a lot more than this, but this would be an example of, you know. Every single movie studio would just throw money at you. (laughs) Did anybody read uh, Tracers in the Dark? No, No. I did not. Only me? Wow. Tracers Uh, in the Dark? Yeah. Sorry, I can't read. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's another Andy Greenberg uh, book. But it goes through crypto, but the last chapter goes through uh, child predatory cases and how they track them down. But this mm-hmm. this reminds me a lot of that and how the leading to tracking crypto winded up leading to tracking child predators, right? And usually child predators don't have the best cybersecurity out there. Some of them do, of course, but a lot of them don't. But I, I definitely think once you crack one case open, like you were saying with this, it's just going to flow. And you'll be able to keep tying it over right. and over together. Well, and, and to your point with the crypto, that's that's the whole big thing. Like again, this is also not the organization uh, that I work with or do the, did the CTF with, but Anti Trafficking Intelligence Initiative. That's exactly what they're doing. Their their domain is follow money, flight, fight slavery, and they're trying to find the connections between crypto and trafficking as it relates to onions. So you know you're spot on. You know follow money, follow crypto. You're going on that He's point too that. biden released some stuff today about ai executive uh, orders and developing yeah. guidelines and stuff like that but i doubt it well, we talks kind of, anything we about kind this. Of made fun of the ai the ai um but it was good remember Do you like think it was he actually wrote chat GPT? did he write that with chat gpt <laughs> it was like oh, wow man. this is not this does not suck as much as i this totally <laughs> does not suck as triumph the insult dog would say when referencing bon jovi um, so let's move on. Um, I want to close out probably the last one um, is the MGM hackers. Uh, Microsoft has basically said that they are one of the most dangerous financial criminal groups, Octo Tempest and everything that they're doing. And it's weird because if you read this and kind of break down why they think that they're so dangerous is they speak English really, really well. Their, their ruses and their social engineering tend to be more effective. I somewhat kind of agree but also disagree their means and like what they're using you know sim cloning and social engineering they're basically utilizing multiple prongs to try to successfully break into organizations is kind of my thought but i wanted to get y'all's thoughts as well just seems like they're good that to me i don't know like i'm they're all None of these, none of these playbooks are very like surprising to me. At the end of the day, it's just that they're using all of them, right? And they yes. made a couple big splashes so far, like SIM swapping, texting, credential purchases, help desk scams, social engineering. Like those are the bread and butter. It's just you found someone who actually uh, doesn't, or actually writes in English and it, and it's legible, and maybe <laughs> the grammatical errors aren't that bad. And they fool a couple people. So, okay. Uh, so if it's saying these are the most dangerous groups, who who is this being compared to? One like, of, you said one of the most dangerous. Right, but like, who is, who? if they're looking to their left and their right, who is more dangerous or less dangerous? Like, are we talking about like comparing them to like North Korea? Like, who are, like, who <laughs> are right. I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know how they, how they kind of, like, look, 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 let's be honest. Like, I am pretty sure, what was it? Was it a year ago or was it two years ago? Um, that I freaked out in the middle of the night and I had BHIS shut down uh, text-based authentication. It might have been, been this group and one of their previous, earliest, earliest attacks, but 
it was enough to scare the living hell out of me, right? When I found out it was an option, we had to go through and shut it off and it was kind of disruptive, but seriously, like they've been very successful, um, hats off to them, you know, very, very solid, good offensive group. But, but then it gets back to the key question. It's like, why is it just because they speak English? Is that it? Or is it kind of, they're, they're better at doing these various techniques. I, I, yeah, I think everybody also, else uses the techniques, but I can go throw a football and I'm not Tom Brady, right? I think you know, it's also different... targeting though, because I think this, so like North Korea, we know targeted primarily crypto related, basically exchanges and other companies that would have large amounts of crypto, which yes. I guess from the FBI's perspective, isn't as much of a risk to the American public as high, well, high profile it, institutions like MGM, like, how many Americans have stayed at an MGM resort? Probably like a decent chunk. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't but know. you're talking about the you're talking about the the Bitcoin and all that stuff. I mean, I up until fairly recently, law enforcement looked at a lot of that stuff as like fake money. They didn't really care right. all that much if those crypto exchanges were right. knocked over and how. I, I, I think I think on on for me where it comes in and again i don't i haven't been watching as many of the groups over as long of a period of time as some of you like john have but it seems to me that they adjust and switch their tactics much faster than most of the other big name groups that i see out there and that's what scares me the most is that they're not just developing new tactics they're making the adjustments faster and you take a look at what it says starting in 2002 they were using this by now they're we're a year and a half later all of a sudden they're into using black cat and other techniques on top of it all and making that adjustment that fast and being effective at it and so Mike, that's one of the things that that i i that kind of you know what i think you're right i think you got something there this seems more like a professional pen testing firm and right. the yes. reason why i say that is a lot of the firm a lot of the like the groups that are out there they will use a handful of techniques and then they'll kind of, you know, wash, rinse, repeat to see a group like this that basically can change their tactics and go after the vulnerabilities that are present presented to them. That really seems like an actual pen testing firm at that point. Right. It almost uh, seems like they're not that big of a, a firm as well, right? Usually, like me thinking corporation wise and organization, when we start seeing those SOPs on how to do stuff. Like uh, who? What? Which ransomware group had their SOP leaked, and it was just Conti. pretty much like Conti, right? Yeah, Conti. Once they, I would imagine, <laughs> it, is it true for ransomware groups? Once they get to a certain size, they just send out SOPs. But if they're small and agile and able to pivot quickly, do they act more like this, right? Well, or it's just and that's a core one of the group. things. Like, okay, if we were going to create a ransomware group, right, and we were going to try to be as evil as possible and get billions. There's no way in hell that I would hire hundreds of people to do it for. You, you would want a very small, tight-knit group that knew what they were doing and had very solid techniques, and you would work from that. I'm um, sorry, but we have, we have to highlight uh, Graham's comment. It's so Which funny, one? Sloth Boy. <laughs> I missed yeah, it. Yeah, I was going to pull one up. Here it is. <laughs> Microsoft is just acquire Alfie. That's what they do in every sector when it becomes a threat. To, oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, I love it. W, so okay, WLD just dropped another one. Said they're just a startup looking for. Okay, contract. so John, yeah, I mean, should we should we you know subcontract through them? I mean, they're clearly pretty good at social engineering and other things. I mean, I don't know. Right. All joking so, aside, right? I mean, it, groups like this genuinely scare me at BHIS. Like 
these are groups that have really solid techniques. And I, I, I want to know on the back end, this is something we talk about a lot in our continuous pen testing practice, is one of the things that pen testing firms can't do that regular black hat hackers can do is fail a lot. Like mm. you see the success of how this group launched an MGM attack or, you know, well, let's also talk about some of the Okta attacks that have dropped as well. Those are successful, but I'm willing to bet that there is a crap ton of failures that they had before they were actually successful. And that's why we kind of are switching into this continuous pen testing model so that we can actually start doing year-long testing where we can try a bunch of crazy stuff and see what sticks. But I, I would love to know. I would love to know, like, how many times do they fail if they go after, like, an MGM? Because I doubt very strongly. Well, they just like, move on if it doesn't work. First well, one. Right? Yeah. Isn't right? this team supposed to be relatively young, too? Like, they keep saying yes. that. They're... So I wonder if they're just, like, the older ransomware groups, right? The old grizzled vets who know, try and true, get the job done, right? We're going to run this. We're going to run that. These like, are the wait, kids who are actually, like, passionate about cybersecurity, who are about hacking. So they're, like, out there grabbing <laughs> cyber, all the tools. Cybersecurity. Right? They're, they're, they're at the top of their game. They're, they they're new. Crime, they're still fresh. University. <laughs> this, is, this is what I keep trying to interject the, with. Uh, Hold. It's the yeah, University of Moscow's uh, yeah. CCDC team. Yeah. So this is what I keep trying to interject with, because... I think Wade just about nailed it there with the they're the they're the young kids, right? But I'm gonna I'm gonna make it a little bit more historical. So while while I was off last week, I picked up this book at, at the Mount Rushmore gift shop, and it's called Mr. Lincoln's High Tech War. And one of you had said they're quicker to adapt, and this is exactly what this book talks about. All his generals didn't know how to use the telegraph as a weapon of war. They didn't know how to use the railroad as a weapon of war. Uh, balloons, ironclad stuff. These younger people, they are, have grown up. So think about the definition of like the Xennial, Millennial, Gen X, right? They have grown up seeing the interaction of all these technologies and are now able to synthesize them. It is not, look at this cool parlor trick I learned with phishing. It is now, look what I can do with SMS, with phishing, with this, with social, with these leaks. You mean I can just buy access to companies? Uh, exactly. <laughs> I, I yeah. don't know. I, honestly, though, there's like they didn't just download Raid Shadow Legends and click hack in the game. Like, I think from my, I think this is uh, like, I get what you're saying, but my like vibe pulling this out of the dark is like their dads were all Okta admins. <laughs> it's, it's, it's simple like, it's real simple here's the thing. Are. Here's the take. yes the that techniques take. are not gen z techniques they're making phone calls that's something gen z does not do gen z does not call if it's not a domino's pizza tracker they're not calling like I'm no not, but they know, they know they know their targets they know their targets and they know that i'm gonna i'm gonna back up in on this though like mm -hmm. looking at the octa style attacks and how they can actually utilize that access it's I think that they got some really solid curiosity skills, which that's is a exactly skill that we don't talk about. We yes, talk about that's how fair. much. That's how much do you want to bet that they're watching this podcast right now? Oh, oh some new I techniques on it. God damn it, Mike. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, yeah. maybe they read. <laughs> no, no, we don't allow hackers in. There's a gate. There's a gate. No, 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 no. Good hackers. No, they have to get through that whole Octa thing yeah. to get locked. They got to get through Octa. Um, so I, but no, I, I, I'm going to go with Ian on this, like whatever it is they're doing, whether their dads are Okta admins or not, like, <laughs> right. 
Um, it's absolutely impressive. Dads and moms and moms. Dads and moms. That's right. Good point. Thank you very much, Corey. Mm-hmm. Um, it's absolutely something to, to think about. But I, I, I think that if this is what this generation is going to be doing for hacking, I, I'm just going to say it. Miter is going to be very busy. Yeah, different techniques and all the different attacks. It's like it's going to get out of hand. Um, I will say, like, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and I fully, I fully agree that like when I read these groups' tactics, I feel FOMO and I feel jealousy mm-hmm. and I feel like, and also I feel like sure. I need to pivot my skills as a pen tester to adapt. Like yep. we talk about this, you know, John mentioned we talked about this with continuous testing, but like, you know, what is emulating a threat actor? This is defining what it is and it's evolving over oh. time and it's getting harder oh. to do, right? So, okay, so, like running oh. a Nessus scan probably not what they're going to do. They're not like, I don't know, it's just a whole different right. changes security. I, I want to bring this up to kind of close it out to give people an idea of what we're dealing with moving into the future. Okay, and what curiosity is. And I was going to talk about this and we talked about it yesterday, Corey. Um, we're going to have a webcast on it, I hope, <laughs> probably in the new year. But, you know, let, let's go back to curiosity versus what is happening in the industry, right? Right. So on one side, you have these attackers that are using social engineering, they're using smishing, they're using all these different techniques and a variety of creative combinations to gain access to companies. And then on the other side, we have a whole bunch of firms that are standing up and creating products they call automated pen testing products. And I know people have heard me get on the soapbox before, and I'm flaming pissed off about it because I know that some of these firms are talking directly to CISA, they're talking to NIST, they're talking to CIS, and they're trying to get it so an automated pen testing tool can qualify as a pen test. None of the crap that you're seeing these kids do is stuff that an automated pen testing tool will pull up. No. And to wit, uh, we had a test uh, where we were completely stuck, like getting smoked by this company. They had amazing security. They had fantastic security, as a matter of fact. And the testers were able to hack into the company. And I'm not going to go into a lot of details on it yet, but they literally had an AI that you could ask, uh, access and ask, ask questions at this company. And they literally asked the AI, how do we gain access to this GitHub server? And the AI gave them a roadmap of what are the different things that you have to do in order to get it. And they were able to break into that and then get further escalation after that simply by talking to AI and asking the right questions in the right order. My point goes back to that curiosity thing that Ian was talking about. Our adversaries are using a whole bunch of really novel techniques and they're using them together in a variety of different ways. And when we're testing, a lot of our testers are being pushed to do the exact same thing. The idea that some automated tool is going to replicate a freaking pen test and emulate what these attackers are doing, it's it's not, it's no, we're not there yet. Not even close. Not well, even it gets remote. into the definition of what is a pen test because it like... Does. It be, because I think th- it's it's tough because we talk about this all the time on the show the the drifting apart of security testing versus compliance testing versus actually emulating threat actors. At this point, I think we can basically say that's three different products. That's three different yeah. solutions. Mm-hmm. Like checking your patch management, great. Maybe that'll pass PCI compliance for you, and maybe HIPAA too, and maybe even NERCSIP. But going deeper, okay. Now we're talking about a pen test. Pen testing, mm-hmm. though going even deeper then you're talking about continuous testing or whatever you want to call it attacker emulation it's like it's almost splitting i mean the industry it's like a whole compliance thing and all that like 
there's never going to be a compliance that says you have to pretend like you're a really good hacker. Like <laughs> It's never going to be required to do this level of testing, but for the companies that care, following the real threats is like, it's, always, I don't even know if I'd call it pen testing. I mean, my, it is pen testing, but it's so different my, than what I consider a traditional pen test. I, I think my scary part about a blue teamer watching all this right is knowing that these large organizations cannot pivot this quickly. They, oh, no. We cannot implement any type of change. We can't even do testings. Like it takes so many approvals and so many tests and so many check marks to just get one of these tests going sometimes. And it, it can get pretty crazy for the blue oh. side. And you have to be agile and on the ball and have some gnarly like executive behind you in order to push your security team. And if you, if you can get there to a company, that is freaking great. Wait, but I don't wait, think a lot of people... how many times do you hear stories from blue teamers that they try to get cloud logs and they get pushback mm -hmm. because it's too many logs? We don't even know if they have those logs. The vendor says they don't have those logs. And the really good blue teamers are trying hard to do that. Then you get the logs. And it is an issue of just getting the damn logs. It's an issue of getting the logs and then having to reverse engineer which of those logs are going to be effective in an IR engagement. And then storing them. How long can you store them? There's oh, just oh, so many oh, factors, oh, oh, right? Are, are we, like, let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's keep waiting up at night even more. In that Microsoft article, um, in, the, in the one that we were just talking about, one of the things they specifically mention is that attackers will cut the connection. They will cut the logging. They will cut the emails. Oh, yeah. So mm -hmm. this is something we've seen. We're trying Dude, to emulate. We do that too. Like if we get admin access, <laughs> NetSH, uh, like NetSH ADV firewall, you can block the AV from sending any logs. Like that's, I mean. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things like as an attacker emulate or as a fake attacker, emulating the real attackers and then also defending against them is getting more complex of like, yes. okay, well now as a pen tester, when I get in, the first thing I have to do is turn off all the alerts. Okay. How I'll do tell I do you that? that? I'll tell you this, that's <laughs> like, like one of the things that scares me so much, just because like some organizations, maybe the SecOps team is doing alerts and running the tools, right? That's going to be smaller organizations, but bigger organizations, it's going to be a whole nother team watching if hosts are going down, right? Yeah. And I would, and if you write an alert for if a host's EDR goes down, oh, it's going to go you're off gonna, every time. It's going to go off all the time. There's yeah. no way you're going to catch that. You're going to have to have so many different avenues in order to hopefully catch something. But then it's the, the whole castle thing, right? Like, I hopefully you do something on AD and that yeah, pops yeah, yeah, it, yeah. or hopefully well, you pivot. Hopefully you have a like, Gmail in your AV and EDR. Because if you don't, <laughs> when you're like, seriously, I'm not even joking. Yeah. Out of band. Yeah. Like, do you yeah. have you provisioned out of band <laughs> access? Yeah, um, no. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so I mean, there's still there's still Nokia racks that you can put in that is an SMS text gateway <laughs> I mean, in your exactly. data center so that it literally just feeds to that. I mean, so it, it one seriously two is comments, like... guys, we got to wrap yeah. this up. Two comments. Yeah. One, Hex B, waiting for Microsoft E7, where you can buy your logs afterwards, too. <laughs> um, and then oh. Sam was talking about most common way to actually get into pen testing and hacking and things like that. Go look up our five year plan. Uh, just mm -hmm. do a search for John Strand five-year plan. Um, it gives you kind of a roadmap on how to how to actually get to the point where you can do this stuff. But with that, Ian, can you bring out the crooked finger? Oh, John, I would be happy to do that as soon Thank as I get so back much. to that screen. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining this week. We will see you next week.